to the second episode of Hiring Humans. Today we have with us Rory Gallivan, um, his senior manager of the product education team in Intercom. Hi Rory. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, so we're going to talk about hiring humans, as the name suggests, and we're addressing both sides of the table. So when you hire humans, when you were hired, experiences on both sides. Um, but let's start with, you know, back in the day mm. um, when you studied psychology. I mean, okay, psychology, then product education. I, I see the connection now, but did you see in the future? <laughs> I don't know. How did you end up studying this and then work, doing what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, really there wasn't a whole lot of thought put, put into it all the way back then. I was coming out of school, straight into university, trying to pick what to do. This course caught my eye. It was psychology applied to IT, which I think is now called applied psychology over in IADT. Um, and really it was just about um, getting to learn about what... Um, influences people's behavior and that blend with technology which I was also interested in so it was really that kind of very interesting to me it stood out and I just give it a go there was not there wasn't a whole lot of premeditation about that so what is applied psychology or psychology in IT is it like I don't know UX or UI or so it might have changed since what it was back then this is all the way back in 2001 two. Yeah. Um, but back then it was almost par two parallel tracks you learned like like core psychology um, yeah. concepts and then you also heard you also learned uh, things called usability and interaction design which was all kind of new and exciting at the time but it's definitely matured and progressed since then awesome um, so speaking of UX like you've been in so many roles you've done ap application testing you've done UX now you do product education you you've, you've tried different bits um, how how did you end up building a product career specifically? And like, can you can you walk us through this journey of so many things, and you end up with product education specifically? Sure, I'll talk about the journey in a second. Mm -hmm. But I suppose the product education team is not necessarily a product team. I mean, mm -hmm. on any any given day, I often draw this triangle where it's like product, marketing, and support. And mm -hmm. on any given day, we could be closer to either one of those points depending on what we're working on. Um, so we really sit at the intersection of a number of different teams. Um, but in terms of the, uh, the, the journey, it was the question about the journey yeah. from... Actually, let's, let's go back to this for a second. So, mm -hmm. But who do you report to? Do you report to you know, VP of product or VP of marketing? I report to the CMO, so yeah. um, head of marketing. So it's, it is there as much as you move between product support and marketing. Yeah, it's, okay. it's definitely in the marketing org. However, we do overlap a lot with other organizations who are extremely yeah. cross-functional, cross-collaborative. So, you know, one of our projects at the moment is like working really, really closely with the product team who are designing the new onboarding experience. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they might, while they might be working on the onboarding mm -hmm. of the UI part of the onboarding, I suppose, the stuff we're doing is like the, the rest of that experience and filling in the gaps of like what, you know, what are the, what's the content or what's the, the messaging or all that other stuff that happens as part of that overall rounded onboarding experience is not just the UI. Mm. Mm. So with your product background, and now mm -hmm. you're much closer to marketing, but at the mm -hmm. same time you're not doing content marketing, which is the, um, maybe it's the, I don't know, it's the first type of content that comes uh, to mind to people. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but you do product education, which is still in a way yeah. content marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about product education? Where where does it? Um, how do you feel? Where does it fit between mm. those things? Yeah. So not so much in the organization mm. and and objectives, but mm. to you. Yeah. So if you think about the funnel, like as in like how a, a customer lifecycle funnel, yeah. um, and content marketing tradition would be like very top of funnel. Mm-hmm. And I think product education sits right at the point of sign up, just either side of sign up, and yeah. then everything that happens after that. Mm-hmm. And so the product education content that we produce is very customer focused. Um, and so it's designed to kind of take people from that point of consideration all the way through to convert, to activate, and hopefully retain and then expand later on. Um, so all the content we create is like designed along that part of the funnel. So it's like the bottom, I suppose post sign up, there's a new funnel and it's, it's, that, it's there. Yeah. You know, um, I wanted to ask you something at the start mm-hmm. of uh, the episode. What are you most proud of out of like uh, out of your career, not, not work related? What am I most proud of out of my yeah. career? Uh, I think getting to build the team that I've built right now in Intercom? It can be career related. It can't, it can't. Be, can't be career related? No, no. Wow. I have to say my kids. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, How many are they? Well, I have one and one on the way. But um, what am I most proud of? Okay, if we take kids and family out of the equation. This is, this is a hard question. I don't like answering this question. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, this, this is not an interview. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a casual conversation. <laughs> And it can't be career related. No, no. Okay, then it's got to be my family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Um, tell wanna, me a little yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Um, tell me a little bit. How did you join Intercom? Mm. Um, I, assume, I I think you, you you used to know Des and mm. Owen before that. But what what was when did you meet them? Yeah. What was the journey like? So <clears throat> I was studying, um, actually after IADT, I went to London through a master's in uh, human-centered systems, it was called. And I was looking for an internship. What's human-centered Human-centered system? systems was basically a follow-on from the course I had just done in Dublin. It was a one-year master's. It was all about um, interaction design, usability, human-computer interaction, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and so I was then looking for my internship, which was part of the course, and ended up, of course, back in Dublin in my internship um, at a company called IQ Content. Um, and sitting next to me at the other desk was Des Trainer. And so we got to know each other a little bit there. He subsequently left, went off, and started contrast with Owen. Um, I stayed at IQ Content for about five years. And then... Um, Started to get a little bit bored of what I was doing. I was doing this UX design slash research analyst role um, for a long time. So I was like, time, maybe time for a change. And all the while in the background, I'd gotten into this whole thing of video production, where I was like recording like live gigs and um, working, with, uh, working with friends of mine, just as a total hobby, like just pure enjoyment. There was no kind of work element to it. When you say gigs, do you mean music gigs? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like concerts and stuff. Anyone famous, Bono? Uh, <laughs> you can check out my YouTube channel. <laughs> okay, um, what's your YouTube channel? So oh, Galvin Orr, maybe, I think. Um, okay. My name, you'll find it. <laughs> anyway, um, so where was I? So 
yeah, I was doing the video in the background and then I get, I literally got a text, I think probably because I was the only person that Des knew that did video. And um, mm. can you make us a video for this new product we have? It's called Intercom. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and literally wasn't even thinking at that point, oh, this is going to be a career change for me. I just like did the video um, and then did another one and then did another one. And then slowly <laughs> it almost didn't even dawn on me that it was like, this is turning into a full-time role. Yeah. Um, Funny part of that story is awkwardly, I was just about to move country. I was just about to leave Ireland for Berlin. And so I, my first day at Intercom was a month after I moved to Berlin. <laughs> so it was like remote from day one. But um, anyway, that's, how, that's how I got into Intercom in the first place. Yeah. Um, what are your tips? So when, when did you join Intercom? How many years that ago? That was July, the 1st of July, 2013. So five and a bit years ago. So you, you've been there for quite a bit. You have mm. seen um, and be part of the company, been part of the company at so many stages. Um, how, what's your advice on people who want to build their career within Intercom? Maybe they already work there or they're considering it. So how about, I don't know, navigating, yeah. adapting to change, anything, anything. So is this tips for people already there? or Both, yeah. both. Well, I suppose this might merge with one of the other questions, mm -hmm. but like tips for like getting a job at Intercom, I suppose the, the people that we would definitely value are people who are like humble and thoughtful and um, also very ambitious and hardworking and all those things um, need to be together, I suppose, in one, one package. Um, for building a career in Intercom, I suppose, yeah, like really because the company came, went through such like such dramatic growth, um, it really presented a lot of opportunity for people to kind of step up and like grab grab ownership of things as they as we needed them to, yeah. and so I suppose one it's a very kind of broad answer, but like one piece of advice would be like to step up and like to take responsibility for things that you see need someone to take responsibility of. Yeah, yeah. Just stepping up, and if someone wants to join Intercom, what would be your tips on that? Apply. <laughs> That's a silly, silly answer, but um, I suppose some of the people at Intercom would have said that you know I almost didn't apply here because you're growing so fast and it all looks very successful from the outside, and inside it's just full of these like like normal people <laughs> who just um, applied. And I suppose um, yeah. Uh, I think Paul Adams had an article on imposter syndrome. Yes, yeah, that and imposter syndrome article. is something we, we, we talk about, like, mm -hmm. it comes up a lot because nearly everyone experiences it to some degree at some point in their career. Yeah. Um, and it's important to recognize that and to know that, you know, even Paul Adams experiences imposter syndrome, you know? Um, so it's, you know, it's important to recognize that and to, I suppose, um, yeah, I don't know, I've lost my train of thought there. But. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so any any other tips on how someone can stand out when they apply for a job with Intercom? <clears throat> um, so I'll talk about like my role in particular, or mm -hmm. sorry, my team in particular. Okay. Um, so we run the, the, this team called Product Education. Um, what is Product Education? What kind of people end up working on a Product Education team? And the answer is I don't really have an answer for that because every single person that works on this team has come from it like an almost completely different background to the next. Can you give me an example? Sure, like people have come from, um, people have come from marketing backgrounds, from sales backgrounds, from journalist backgrounds, from like music backgrounds. It's been quite like a varied, um, 
And so I suppose that, that just means that the background doesn't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were looking for was like a couple of core, core things and then just like really smart, ambitious and thoughtful people. Um, and so if you want to do, if you want to get into an area that you're not necessarily in right now, I suppose the best thing that you can do is like demonstrate your ability to do that. Um, so people used to ask me, how do I get into UX design? And my answer was always, do UX design? Um, I know that sounds really obvious and kind of almost a bit cynical, but it's like, you need to like demonstrate your ability to do this, whether that means going off and doing a side project yourself or, you know, working for somebody, um, you know, uh, that isn't necessarily your employer. Like, yeah. you know, there's like, there's, I suppose, yeah. Again, I've lost my train of thought. So, they, uh, so people can volunteer, they can create their own side projects, mm-hmm. they can do things for, for free. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, and like take advice from recruiters as well. So, I mean, there was someone on our team that applied a few times before finally get, getting the position. And like that person went back and literally did the things we, we said that were missing. That we said, look, you know, we, we know you want to join this team and like we'd love to have you join one day, but there's clearly these gaps. Um, you know, for example, you know, uh, screencasting was one yeah. of the things this person had never done before. And like three months later, I see that he's screencasting all over, all over the place. And I'm like, this is great because like you're literally just doing it. He's just doing the thing. And they it, stepped it, up. They stepped up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's really about like just demonstrating your ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. What's what's important for you when you when you mm, when you interview people to join your team? Are there is there anything in particular that you're looking for in terms of? Um, so you know we mentioned that experience is not necessarily a prerequisite because people mm-hmm. come from different backgrounds. But are you looking for um, I don't know specific personality traits or attitude or are you looking to create a more balanced team mm. and it could be something completely different, not necessarily a replication of what you already have? Yeah, definitely, um, definitely depends on the role mm-hmm. that we're looking for. Um, I suppose I could mention a few, a, few, a few things that we look for that are kind of uh, applicable to all roles. Um, if, someone's de- if someone can demonstrate, and this is not just in an interview, but in an overall application process, if someone can demonstrate that their focus is around business impact and not necessarily like uh, to tunnel vision on, on the artifact that they're going to produce, but actually mm-hmm. what that artifact going to do f- to the bottom line or like what impact is that going to have? Yeah. That's always like a green light um, if, they're, if they're genuinely focused on that. Um, other things that we look for on the product education team in particular would be um, the ability to write. Um, clarity of writing follows clarity of thought always and so like nobody will get onto the team if they can't write and um, that's great if they can't des- describe to you like we'll often open the inbox of people and say what's this and if they can't describe that back to me then they're hardly going to be able to describe that to our customers so it's the ability and they don't have to come from a product background but just to have that like baseline comfort in being able to talk product yeah so your role um, changed quite a bit within the product education domain. You started as an individual contributor. Now you're mm-hmm. leading the team. Um, what are the differences between those two roles? Yeah, the differences are quite drastic. Um, I suppose if you're an individual contributor on the team, you're spending most of your day writing or um, writing scripts. Even if you're a video producer, a lot of that time is script writing. Yeah. Um, You'll be writing articles, you could be in front of a timeline, editing video for your whole day some days. 
Um, and that's very, very different to, a ma I suppose, a management role in the team, which would consist of, um, I suppose, planning, um, you know, I suppose, yeah, planning strategy, um, reviewing a lot of work at that point, as opposed to writing the work. You'll spend, your, spend a lot of your time editing, um, meeting with, I suppose, cross-functional partners in the company. Um, you know, I meet with people from demand generation and product marketing, support, sales, uh, you know, how, how much of your time is focused on growing the team in terms of developing the team? Yeah, I suppose there's a kind of a baseline of like all. There's all I'm always doing some amount of that, but and um, we'll grow through we'll go through growth spurts where I'll have to spend a bunch of time on hiring. Mm -hmm. Even though we have like people ops and recruiting teams now, yeah. still a big uh, big um, time commitment to like find the right people to join the team. And we take that very, very seriously. So we'll always take our time with that. Um, but I suppose then there's a lot of um, team management and team development uh, activity that happens throughout the week, which would be like one-on-ones, mm -hmm. team meetings, that kind of thing. Do you do a one-on-one -on -one every week or every couple of weeks? Try to meet with our direct reports once a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. What, what are I don't know the most often things you you talk about during the one-on-ones? So the agenda in the one-on-one is set by the report. So it's um, that's kind of the I suppose uh, if I if I'm if I'm having a one-on-one -on -one with my manager, I take the agenda um, to my manager, and likewise for people on my team, they'll take the agenda to me. And that's the reason for that is that they, it's their chance to raise anything they need to raise, whether that's Project related, personally yeah. rela personal related, like you know, it can be it can be anything. Is kind of the rule that I take anyway, um, and we'll try not to get stuck in in the weeds on like any kind of pr project operational operational yeah. stuff or like um, detail about a problem in a particular project. We'll try and keep it, keep it high higher level than that, and try and like move through any any topics that are top of mind. So when you joined Intercom, you mm. had just moved to Berlin. And you recently relocated back from mm -hmm. Berlin to Dublin. Um, was that necessary for the change in your role from individual contributor to a manager in the product education team, or was it yeah. not related to anyone? It, it was. It was definitely related. Um, I was in. A, I was in the unique position where my manager was in San Francisco. Mm. I was in Berlin, and my direct reports were in Dublin, and that wasn't going to work. Uh, as we scale the team, it worked when there was like one or two people at either end, but not when you're scaling. So, how big is the team now? We're six people now. Six people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're all in Dublin. They're all in Dublin. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that yeah, that just doesn't work. Um. I think it it can work if like it worked when I had one direct report, but even that started to break a bit. Um. And so moving back to Dublin was just really. really you were flying quite a bit back and forth. Yeah, I was back. I was back. A lot. I was back like at the beginning for the first couple of years. I was back like once a month, yeah. um, and then probably every other month after that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, you really need to like FaceTime for the sake of FaceTime is important. That's one thing I've re I've learned. You know, oftentimes we'll be like, um, you know, over in San Francisco meeting my manager or meeting uh, you know other other people in the team, and be like, what are you here for? <laughs> um, you know, um, and really sometimes it's just to get FaceTime with my teammates. Yeah. Um, so you, your office is not far from here. Um, when you start in the morning, can you walk me w through your usual day? Or maybe every day is unique. I don't know. You tell me <laughs> it definitely, what happens. I don't, I don't have a typical day. Um, yeah. 
I suppose if you take yesterday, for example, I spent the entire day in the same room planning next year, but like that might be, uh, you know, a I suppose a typical day, a typical things I'll do every day would be like, I spend a, unfortunately, I spend a bunch of time in front of email. Um, that just takes up a chunk of nearly a, of every day, unfortunately. Um, you know, we, are, we do have multiple offices around the world and Slack is great for real-time conversation, but we are also in multiple time zones, so email is often the best way to communicate and often yeah it just takes a, bu a bunch of time unfortunately um, as i said i meet with um i suppose our kind of strategic partners around the company very very regularly so i spend a lot of time in meetings um, we try and keep meetings to a minimum and as quick as and efficient as possible um, but they are a necessity and mm -hmm. um, you absolutely need to communicate face to face every day with people um, and then as i said other things would be like you know i'll spend a good amount of time reviewing or editing work um, before it goes out um, um, yeah there's some typical things but as I said every, every day is different awesome and do you do you get to spend I don't know longer hours or what time do you finish actually yeah like um, I suppose so you have the San Francisco office which is seven seven there, hours eight hours eight hours yeah. from here um, the time difference mm. so how does the eight-hour difference, uh, time difference with San Francisco affect your work uh, here in Dublin? Yeah, I suppose um, in the early days where the company was kind of tiny and it was like, um, I suppose, all hands on deck for everything, we used to, I probably worked some crazy hours that I didn't, uh, I shouldn't have been working or whatever. But these days, especially with a family, and I'll try and make sure that I finish at six latest. Um, that's kind of typically the, the, the working day is like nine to six. Yeah. Um, and I'll very much encourage my team to do that where possible. Sometimes it's it's unavoidable where you have to work eight hours if you're getting to like a deadline or something like that. But generally speaking, we're not like more work equals better. It's like better work equals better. If you were to start your career again, mm. um, maybe even the, the part with the education, mm. what, what, what would you do? Would you change anything or? If I was to start my career again, would I change anything? You know, what if you were to start your career today? So you you're graduating I know high school what I, today. I know what, what I know now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed my career, to be honest with you. So far, I've I've got to done a very varied amount of stuff, um, and so I don't know if I change a whole lot. Um, I do sometimes like pang for like product design uh, role because that's kind of the. Um, the, the, the route I set off on initially mm -hmm. uh, was kind of a, 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 a design role. Um, and so sometimes I dream of like designing a product someday, but like that's, um, honestly, I, I wouldn't change too much. Um, I, I really enjoy what I do at the moment. And I really enjoy the very nature of the stuff I've got to do. Like it went from everything from like, you know, research to design to like live video production, which then turned into like, uh, product video production, which then turned into this whole other thing in Intercom later on. So, yeah, it's been quite quite exciting. Do, do you have any advice to people who start anywhere in any of those domains? And do you think they should? Because um, I don't know. There, I guess there's two approaches. You kind of go into a specific role mm -hmm. and you you mature there, you develop yourself mm -hmm. there, or you explore. Um, mm -hmm. It's not so like focused on a destination. Mm. Um, wh what's your advice to people out there? So 
this is very cliche probably, but like I we were, I suppose only ever do stuff that you're like really excited about. Um, and so I never let myself, don't let yourself get in a rut, like do the thing that's exciting. Mm. So like when I first started doing the video production and that turned into a job at Intercom, that never felt like a job for like, because we was getting to do like what was my hobby every single day from coffee shops in Berlin, it was great. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I was, it was, I, I, even going back as far as like when I started doing UX design, that didn't feel like work either because I was just so, so into it at the time. And so I suppose it's a total cliche, you hear it all the time, but it really is my advice. It's like, do the thing that excites you most. Um, I'm also conscious of like people who are like probably in jobs where they don't feel like they have any options and they're like, you know, I'm not in a job right now where I, where I love my job, but I can't get out of this. Um, and I says I had hark back to my, like, my advice at the beginning was like, do the thing that you want to do uh, on the side yeah. or, or find opportunities within that role to even like, to tweak out. Like I was, to take an example, um, going all the way back to the time where I was in um, Aviva Insurance, doing this like application testing role, it sounds more exciting than it was. I was basically punching numbers into a system to see if it broke. Um, but then there was this like tiny opportunity to run a usability piece of research. Um, and so that was like, that came up in my interview for the next role at IQ Content. It was like, oh, tell us about this role. I was like, oh, most of it was boring, except it was this one part where I was like able to go and do this piece of research and I got a little bit of traction and the manager was into it and that kind of thing. And so I remember the whole interview at IQ Content was totally focused around that, even though it was like two days of, wow. of, of my time back at, the, uh, at Aviva. So yeah, my advice, I've gone on a complete rambling rant here, but my advice would be like, do the thing that you want to do. Awesome. What are you hoping to see in the, in the world of talent to change maybe in the next five, 50 years? So one thing I saw recently is the, I think it was Google and a few other companies um, came out and like officially announced that, you know, a degree is no longer part of their entrance criteria. Um, and I was kind of nodding along reading this article going like, that's kind of obvious, right? Um, nobody has ever asked me, what, apart from you today, but like nobody has ever asked me like what degree I did um, when, when applying to a company, right? Um, and I'll rarely look at that either on people's applications. Like um, it's, did you do... <laughs> Can you, can you demonstrate your ability to do this job? And I'm not looking for, a, you know, a 2-1 in, you know, or an MSc or something like that. Um, it's really that ability to, to do the job is all I care about. Like there was people in, in, uh, in very high positions in Intercom that never even went to college, straight out of school. So, um, yeah, that, that would be hope, hopefully that we move away. Like, by the way, I don't want to like, take away the value of doing a degree, which is like what teaches you how to think as a human. Mm -hmm. But like... Um, the qualification or the rubber stamp doesn't matter. So which are the critical skills that one should develop, um, in your opinion, that would allow them to adjust regardless of having a degree? So maybe they mm -hmm. develop those skills um, while they're studying the degree mm -hmm. or outside of the degree, maybe through alternative education or just um, practical mm -hmm. experience. Can you ask me the question one more time? Okay. Um, <laughs> So we're saying that um, the degree is optional as long as the person learns to think in, in the sense that usually education teaches you how to think, mm -hmm. but you, can, you, you don't necessarily have to do, follow the same domain, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you skip education, 
you still need to acquire some skills mm -hmm. that are important related to thinking. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think those skills are? Yeah, um, I think a lot of them would be the ability to collaborate, um, the ability to take on other people's point of views and to argue, those, argue yours respectfully. Um, the ability to write, as I said earlier on, mm -hmm. is a huge one because that just is the first piece of evidence that someone is thinking clearly or not. Um, the ability, I suppose, ambition. Um, that's something that you know university will teach you is like to strive for um, a better mark or a better result, um, and 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 to work towards that and to achieve that. It's it's something you learn during those years. Um, there's other stuff I could go on. I don't. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, I would add yeah. decision making, decision assertiveness, making. Yeah. and um, maybe critical thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely communication and collaboration. Yeah, I agree with both of those. Those those come to mind. Um, I, that's that's great. Thank yeah. you so much for no for your answers. Thank you for watching. Uh, this was another episode of Hiring Humans and we'll see you back soon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.